Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yes, this week it's just me and Jim. Stan's watching United. They're the early kickoff this week against Villarreal. At time of recording, it's nil-nil. But also at time of recording, Stan was meant to give us a uh, little voice note in his absence, wasn't he, Jim? No, it's an absolute joke, that man. He's on part-time this week and he can't even come in and do his shit. He can't even send in a bloody voice note for us to read out for all the listeners to hear Stan's opinion, the big Stan opinion on the Ollie sacking, or uh, or mutually parting. Well, not really, Schmeagle. But they, <laughs> they've not said they've sacked him. They've said that he's just left, which I find quite weird another thing i find weird jim is this press conference that they called and you did this like interview almost like as a oh thanks for the memories yeah is that really um i don't know maybe I, I, honestly i don't know why they did it i'm trying to think of a reason but um yeah kind of funny from my my point of view um for a lot of united fans it would have made them feel like oh that was actually a good three years and it's finally come to an end. But really, when you look at it cynically, um, was he always on the verge of being sacked pretty much for the past three years? He had a good, great start when he was interim manager and then once he got that permanent role, it was kind of a, we're just waiting for all this to get sacked and he gets saved by Bruno was really good for a bit. They go on like an away run. Um, but yeah, he's finally gone and we thought he would have went was it three weeks ago, four weeks ago? I think me and you. I think, I think I again, Yeah, I think Stan was on the podcast again. I mean, I say part timer. Jesus, he, he, I know. He's yeah, his wages. We need to look into uh, his holidays. <laughs> agreed. I had no annual leave this year. He's he's been shagging our receptionist who does all the holidays. <laughs> well, someone has to. Well, he must have a fucking schlong allegedly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember me and you saying uh, after the Liverpool game. We spoke like he would have been sacked because, in my mind, and I'm sure in a lot of other people's, he was going to get sacked. It was just an embarrassing defeat. And then to do the same at City uh, the week after, and then you think, right, international break, he surely gets sacked. He stays and he goes to Watford and gets doesn't get beat at Watford. He gets battered. He could have been fired if he didn't encroach on a penalty. Like yeah. that at Watford as well. Watford... <laughs> It's just that, yeah, he had to go, and he did, and it's we'll see who comes in next. There's lots of talks of Poch. What do you think of Poch being at United? Um, would it be a good move for him moving out mid-season from PSG? I, th- I think it would be a good move for him, <clears throat> purely because I know people say, oh, he's got Messi, he's got Neymar, he's got Mbappe. Mbappe's going at the end of the year. He's not staying. He's leaving. Messi, although I consider him the best player of all time, and probably Poch does as well, after Maradona, I would probably 
believe. Uh, and then he's got Neymar, but he's not happy. You've not seen Poch smile really since he's been at PSG. He's almost lost his, uh, I don't know, his love. To be to be honest with you, because at Tottenham, you saw his brand of football and you saw what he could bring to the table. And Pochettino is an excellent coach. I don't know about manager because that's what's kind of let him down at Paris at the moment is man management skills, being able to keep everyone happy. PSG, everyone falls out with everyone as well. But it's his dream to manage United. He said it in the past. He's had like many a dinner with Fergie and he considers him his idol to a point. So I think he'll go if, if United want to do that. But I think they could just settle for an interim till the end of the season and then go for Poch. But if you're going to do it, just do it. You might as well. If you're going to do it at the end of the year, do it now. Yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's, there's talks that it's going to cost £10 million in compensation, but when you're United, it, it does, it's pretty much um, pocket money in it. So, And to get yeah. Poch in now, um, yeah, you're not going to challenge this season. Maybe you can do something on the European fronts, um, just on one-off games, but... You get the team embedded in. You get you have this. You have more than half a season to um, create a new culture. Um, see what dead what you want to get rid of to so try some players that maybe have been on the fringes under Ole, such as like uh, Van den Beek. He was a massive fan of of Donny when he was at Spurs. He was picking him up while he was at Ajax, and maybe he revitalise players like his his career. I wonder what he'll do with Ronaldo. Um, the way Poch plays very. High intensity pressing um, kind of hasn't worked at PSG. All the results have been really good. They're bound to be when the team is that good. But in the Premier League, United aren't. There isn't that gap from the rest of the teams. United are behind Chelsea, City, Liverpool. And there's teams behind United who could give them a game if they don't play with this pressing style, which we've already seen this season. So I wonder what he does with, with players like Ronaldo. Um, mm. would, he, would, he, would he play him in his starting 11? Would be mad not to play him. Yeah, on, on one hand, it would be mad not to play him, but like if you look at that PSG front three, just as an example, a lot of their previous coaches have similar philosophies, like Tuchel as well, high pressing intensity from the front. And in the past, they've had players who will run, like a Di Maria, like a Cavani. They, they'll do the hard yards, they'll do the, the water carrying. But now they've got Messi, who won't run, They've got Neymar who won't run and Mbappe who won't run. And if that's your philosophy that you're pressing high and trying to win the ball as high mm-hmm. up the field as you can, it's not going to work. But at United, mm-hmm. you've got people who will do that for you. Greenwood will do that for you. Rashford will do that for you. You've got countless players that will do that for you. Although Ronaldo will not do that for you, but he'll put the ball in the back of the net and be there in the clutch moments. So you'll almost have to take a hit with him because... He's a he's a massive catch twenty two. He's a help and a hindrance for Ronaldo at the same time. Yeah, um, yeah, de- definitely. I agree with you. Um, Pochettino to United would be very interesting um, just to see how it would work. I can imagine it was because he's a top level coach. He's proved that in England already. But just what football he's going to play, who he's going to play, and and yeah, I mean, he's he's, he's sacrificing a, an easy title win, which he's he's never had a title in his career his career as a manager. So it's a big thing, it's a big step for him, a big gamble. Um, so credit to him for that if it does happen. But I, I guess we have got to give Watford some credit because I mean, four one against United, 
5-2 against Everton. We have these downers going down and Ranieri's come in and that's two huge wins. Yeah, massive. The Tinker Man's at it. He's got Joshy King bagging at the moment as well. He he always scores against United, but he's got Watford looking like a team who could actually mount a charge. And they talk about new new manager bounce, but Ranieri could genuinely get them out of trouble. Like if you look at Watford's team, they've got some talent in there. Like we said, Josh King. You've got players like like uh, Ismail Saar, who's a very good player. I think he's genuinely good enough to keep him up, Saar. With um, um, I'm trying to think of the the lad, uh, the other lad that scored. Uh, is it Dennis? Yeah, Dennis scored. Yeah, Pedro scored. Yeah, um, yeah. I think he scored a couple of times, Dennis, this season. But yeah, four one, and how ironic that Donny Van der Beek's goal was the very last of the all era, given yeah. how little he played in. Yeah, well, you can follow that with the start. An old United. Might have had the off first half and then they get one early in the second half and they come back and they win 3-2. But Ollie's lost the dressing room and we've we, we said it countless times. So I guess, I guess we should move on to other teams. I mean, there's two new managers. We're talking about new manager bounce. Um, Keynes, Ness, Norwich got a great result on the weekend and so did Steven Gerrard's Villa. Um, how do you see it working out for them too? Dean Smith's Norwich is an, another one because... An old football cliche, but Norwich have gone and got someone who's been there, done that, and they've actually gone with an English coach, which is very against their ethos, really. And they've made mistakes by hiring foreign in the past. For example, Alex Neal took them from League One to the Premier League and then back again. And, well, he's Scottish. However, since then, they've opted for a couple of German managers and I believe maybe a Danish manager. But... The, the ultimate yo-yo club, Norwich. And to avoid being that again this year, they, they need to get points from teams in and around them and picking up three points against Southampton, who are hurting themselves. They miss Danny Ings. They miss his goals. And it's hard to replace that. I think he got mi- minimum 15 league goals last year. But Newcastle is still bottom in the league on six points. Norwich are on eight. Burnley are on nine. But... Dean Smith looks like he's made Norwich quite hard to beat. I think it will be an incredible uh, achievement if Dean Smith was to keep Norwich up. I would even argue if Norwich stays up this year, Dean Smith will be the manager of the season because the team just isn't good enough. They're, they're, the, they're the poorest at the back. They don't have goals. Um, although Pookie started to score in recent weeks. They're still by far the, the, the worst offensive team in the league. Um, but I'm just happy to see him get a win because I thought it was hard done by at Villa. And see, again, something we've kind of seen coming on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago when we spoke about managers who could be in trouble. And yeah. Villa acted really quick to a, to a manager who is Villa through and through and the fans loved him. And to lose really and Dean Smith in the space of a year, it must be tough being a Villa fan this year. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, but they're, they're looking on into the future now under Gerard and... 2-0 against Brighton is a very good result because Brighton are a good side and he will beat good teams this season. We've seen what Potter's done already. Um, they're maybe a top 10 team now. Um, but I am excited to see how what Gerard does. Um, I think he did very good work in Rangers. Um, I know the fans aren't the best pleased with him leaving after for a season, which you, you wouldn't be as a fan. But Gerard was always going to take this job and he, he, he had to have a stepping stone before 
the eventual Liverpool connection to come because you you know that's the job he wants in the end. Um, yeah. And he's not going to go from Rangers to Liverpool. I think Villa is a perfect stepping stone for him. Yeah, Villa's a very good club to learn your trade at as well as you have a little bit of uh, embarrassment of riches because they've spent some money. Like they've got Buendia. Um, obviously, they've spent the Screelish money. They've got Douglas Louise, who I think is a really good player. Um, Watkins, Danny Ings. Like they've, they've got a really good team and a team, in my opinion, Villa, with European aspirations. I'm not talking Champions League, but definitely Europa Conference, Europa League, that kind of threshold. And I think Gerard is a manager who's got Rangers playing some very good football over the past, I think it's three and a half years or two and a half years he was there. But like you said, it was inevitable, this connection that he's going to go to Liverpool. It's a three and a half year deal. I know Klopp, has Klopp got two years or two and a half years left? So they kind of overlap. But like you said, it's inevitable really. But Rangers what does replaced it. What, what does what? he have to do, Cook, um, at, at Villa? Like in regards to his audition almost in the, in the next few years to get to get to Liverpool's chairman to think, right, he could be the next Klopp replacement. Um, does he have to win things? Is it a style of football he has to implement? Because like you say, he's got the embarrassment of riches at hand. There are no excuses really for um, Gerard not to be playing at least decent football. Does he have to win something or, or what? Yeah, let's let's be real. Aston Villa's a, a very historic and a very prestigious English football club. They are a big club in England and a team that aren't to be fucked with, for lack of a better term. Like you said, they have got a lot of money and they've got a class fan base, a good stadium in Villa Park, and the owner is very rich. Like, I think Dean Smith spent, I think it was £200 million in his tenure as the Aston Villa manager, and that's a lot of money given that they're not a big six club, and lest we forget, they only got promoted, was it three years ago? Yeah, and they spent that sort of money. £100 million in the first season. There you go. And they've scalped Brighton, like we say, Graham Potter. Everyone's been very wax lyrical about him with the England job. Southgate signed a new deal, I think it was yesterday. Um, but, you know, it's a huge win for Aston Villa. And I'm just looking at their fixtures here. They've got Crystal Palace away, followed by Man City at home, then Leicester at home, and then the big one, Liverpool away on the 11th of December. So there is next four games that he's got. Like I said, he's got Leicester and Man City, along with Liverpool and Palace. So some big games there for Stevie. But, Jim, let's talk to him. We'll go northeast. There's still not one Newcastle. Although, this game, watching the highlights, they uh, look a much better side. I know this one was 3 all, but they look like a, a team that don't just sit back, to be honest with you, anymore. But this isn't a good result. Brighton, uh, sorry, not Brighton, Brentford are hurting at the moment. And... We're talking we're nearly at the end of November and Newcastle still haven't won. Yeah, that it's a really tough season for um, Newcastle fans to start with. But with the Bruce going and with Eddie Howe coming in, things are looking on the up. And yeah, they've not got that win. But I, I think in the last two games, they've looked much better. Um, and I know Brentford are, like you said, they are hurting. I mean... Norwich, Burnley have turned over in recent weeks and then they, they couldn't beat Newcastle, which for them, they, they'll be worried that they might be dropping into a relegation battle. But Newcastle, I watched them against Brighton uh, two weeks ago. I thought they were probably the better team. Um, and if Sanchez wasn't so so clever, to kick Wilson and take the red card, which saved a point ultimately for them. Um, 
that they could have won that game and they could have won this game too. They were, they were ahead at one point. They've scored three goals. I mean, you don't see Newcastle do that much. And I think Eddie Howe is a real interesting coach because there's not many managers now who take that role of coaching training where you see the videos of Howe and he is running them sessions. So and he's got some players of his favourites. He's got his Fraser, he's got his Wilson. Yeah, well, I, I, I think him and Fraser are on the best of terms, are they? Well, well, no. <laughs> for a spell of Bournemouth, he was really good together. That combination yeah. under Howe was what was probably that. I think it was maybe the highest scoring. Assists, I think he got. Yeah, that, yeah. It, them two together were really good. So things are looking on the up for Newcastle, but it's a results business. Um, you could imagine they will spend in January because these owners will not want the club to go down. Um, who do you think <laughs> could take a punt on him, given that, let's say, we get to January, and God forbid for Newcastle fans, they still haven't won a game at this point. Who's going to think, you know what, I'll, I'll go to this team, even though they are really rich, Newcastle probably have a five-year plan for working their way up the Premier League ladder, but I think that five-year plan vastly becomes a seven- or eight-year plan if they get relegated. Yeah, well, they've got with the Christmas schedule coming over. They've probably got a fair amount of games, maybe seven or eight games before the window opens. And like you say, they will need points before that because the if you get into January and they're still bottom of the table, it's a gamble anyway for a big player to go to Newcastle. Yeah, and it's a gamble that they might want to take even less if they're bottom. Because there's a lot of decent parties and players linked with him. Um, I think I've seen Aaron Ramsey linked with him recently. Um, he's a very good player. Um, but when you're bottom of the table, do you want to risk that? Or do you just want to wait another season and then maybe go Newcastle afterwards if, if they're all right? Halfway yeah. through a season, especially in January too. It's a lot harder yeah. to get business done. So it, it's going to be a vital two months for Newcastle. No, you're, you're 100% right. January is such a, a hard time to do business. Uh, especially for even the bigger teams. Like, you don't see many teams in January spend 100 million unless it's on one person. And that's a very much a, a rarity in, in and of itself. But let's uh, move on to the last team we're going to talk about in the Battle of the Drop, Jim. Burnley, another three all, two, three threes in the Prem this week. But they, that, that draw for Burnley leaves them still in the bottom three with Norwich Newcastle. But they're only on nine points, Burnley. It's not looking good. Yeah, um, the goal's worth flying in. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, they're still down there. And I believe Burnley will be down there all year. But I think this team and the manager will know that. Um, I think they're not experienced in final relegation. So I, I would actually back them to get out of it. I mean... They've actually only lost once since September, and that was away at City in the, in the league. And see, he can't really complain there. They got draws to Leicester, draws at Southampton. They drew with Chelsea. They beat yeah. Brentford to 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 win their game. They, they drew at Palace. Listen, Palace beat us. They're not they're not a bad team. I mean, you was at home, so maybe you could have wanted to win, but they're hard to beat. Is my point. And there's some of these clubs below them, like your Newcastle's and your Norwiches, who have. Um, just rolled over and lost easy. Burnley, unless they're going away at Anfield or Etihad or Bridge, they're probably going to be in it until the end of the game. Yeah. 
yeah, they've got a style of football and <clears throat> that's they're not going to change for anybody. But do you think that they'll... Because they, they've had a takeover, Burnley, as well, that we forget. It's obviously not on the same scale as Newcastle's takeover, but they've, they've been invested in and they bought Max Corney. Do you reckon they'll invest again in January to, to keep him up, maybe? Because they've shown that they can get deals done like Corney and he's their best player this year by far. Yeah, well, to be honest, with the way they've operated for the past four or five seasons, I would be surprised, even with the takeover, to see him spend big. It's not what you associate Burnley with. They're almost a championship club in in the way they spend and the way that they pay players. They're just so well run and so well organised by it. And a lot of it is to do with Dyson's coaching staff. That yeah. they just, we just kind of accept as a Premier League, like a standard team that won't go down. But they're overachieving every single season. And if they stay up again this year, it's another overachievement. So credit to them. Okay, listeners, it's that time of the episode. It is indeed the bet of the week. And this one is for this Saturday. So we're starting in the early Arsenal at home to Newcastle. We're going to go for under two and a half in the early kickoff, followed by we're going to go Aston Villa versus Crystal Palace, both teams to score. Liverpool at home to Southampton. We're going to go Liverpool to nil. And then we're going to finish off with Brighton to beat Leeds. So just to recap... Arsenal, Newcastle, under two and a half. Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, both teams to score. Liverpool versus Southampton, Liverpool to nil. And then Brighton to beat Leeds at the Amex. And just to put that out there, Jim, what can the listeners do with that information? Stick it in your hackers. Bitches. Pick it up, your hackers. <laughs> that and all. Okay, welcome back, listeners. So it is that time where we're going to talk about the upper echelon of the Premier League. You could say that they can't sit with us, Jim, for a bit of a Mean Girls reference. But <laughs> it's a bit of a three-horse race we were talking about off mic, and me and you and Stan was talking about it, that it's really between Man City, Chelsea and Liverpool, really, for the Premier League at this moment in time. Yeah, it, it is. It was, a, I think... It's been a few weeks since we actually mentioned them, which is not like football podcasts, really, because you seem to only talk about the big teams. But we're all inclusive here at the Fucking Podcast. Yeah. Um, and we was mentioning that, yeah, United with the squad they built and what they've done in, in the summer, bringing Ronaldo and Sancho and Varane. They will be a title challenger, but let's just face it, they aren't this year. Um, they've fallen off so far behind. And it is clear to me that Chelsea, Liverpool and City are by far the three best teams in the league and it will go the distance. Um, and it's really interesting, actually. It could be one of the most interesting tire races we see because normally there's only two teams in it, but now you've got three. So the games between the three, there's more of them and the more important. Um, and I guess I want to ask you, but what's, what separates it? If you just pick a winner out of them, and I know you're a Chelsea fan, so bias about you're going to think Chelsea are going to win it, I'm going to think City are going to win it. But what separates them? Because um, I, I don't see much differences. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a bitch here and sit on the fence, but it's, I'm going to explain why. So I don't think it's anything necessarily that separates them, apart from Man City and Liverpool, because I think those two have the best squads in the league, arguably in, in European football, world football. 
I think those two have probably the best squad. And but the main thing is the three, they all do something excellent, but it's different, and the other teams can't do it. For example, Man City's possession-based football, they they play it better than any other side in Europe. They play it better than any other side. Chelsea can't do it as good as Man City, nor can Liverpool. Liverpool play the high-intensity pressing football, rock and roll football, as Klopp calls it. Chelsea can't do it as well as them, nor can Man City. Chelsea have their... Um, the main weapon that Chelsea have is the squad and the fact that we've been missing Lukaku, who doesn't start again tonight against Juve. This will be the seventh game on the spin that Lukaku's missed. And the only game we've dropped points in is Burnley at home where we drew one all, but that's that's the thing that Chelsea do well. They can get an injury and then whoever fills in does the job, whether that be a, a Pulisic who's playing false nine tonight or a Havertz who's been doing it last season and a bit of this season, uh, whether that be a Ross Barkley who's even been playing for Chelsea this year and playing really well. And I thought Ross Barkley was well out the door, well out the door. So it's not really what separates them. That's what they do differently but like I said they all do it really well what do you reckon and that was me trying not to be biased yeah I I, I think I actually think the two best squads in terms of what you can bring off the bench go to Chelsea and City um, I think you look at some of Liverpool, Liverpool's benches this year and they have struggled with injuries the bench at Arsenal um, was there was full of names that you hadn't really heard of uh, in, in some cases but I think Liverpool probably have the best starting eleven. If you was to pick your strongest eleven, man for man, and go through the three teams, I think you'll have more Liverpool players than I because if I could have got the best forward, the best right back, the best left back, maybe the best centre back, maybe the best keeper, although he's actually struggled. Um, maybe the best holding midfielder. Um, who knows? Anyway. Three teams that play a different football, and that's what makes it really interesting for me. Um, you've got high pressing, you've got the possession. Chelsea are in a completely different formation to both of them. We're but a bit I of think, a hybrid. Yeah, but it's very interesting. It's going to be a lot of tactical battles when these teams play each other, which makes it for an interesting watch. I think when you get to January and you see Salah and Man go off for African combinations and he could miss up to eight games if the teams go far. I think that could be the difference because you look at the weekend and you've got City without their best player, De Bruyne. Um, you've got Chelsea without the big one signing, Lukaku. I don't know if he's the best player, but... And they strolled to wins. Would Liverpool have strolled to a win without Salah and Mane like they have been that? You haven't seen that from three... It, there's a huge drop-off when them two go out and you have a Jota, Firmino and, I don't know, a Rigi front three or a Minamino front three who came on and scored on the weekend. I think if Liverpool can get through that period and be a few points off the top and still be in the title race, I think Liverpool, with the atmosphere they've got at the Klopp, uh, at the Klopp, sorry, and with Klopp at the Klopp, at the Klopp, um, with a tongue twister, I think Liverpool will win it if they do that. But I think that's a huge ask. So I, the, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I think um, that they will struggle when that happens because I made the point, I think it was um, in the last episode of, of last year uh, on the podcast, that Virgil van Dijk getting injured, Salah dragged them to the top four. 
I don't think if it was Salah that did his cruise shirt, then they would have got top four. And I stand by that. However, if Egypt and Senegal go far, it's only a Salah. I think even if they, they still have Mane, let's say Senegal go out as early as possible. He comes back. Yeah. Egypt go a decent way. I think because he's so heavily lent on Salah and he never gets injured, they, they have that luxury of he's never injured. Um, so it'll be it'll be weird. Let's say they, they have him gone for minimum five games. They could be out of the title race by the time he's back, genuinely. That's how fast the Prem moves. They could because you've seen in recent years too how out of the title winners and the contenders, they put in like 14, 15 game winning streaks. That's a norm now. We don't we haven't really seen that before. Um City are capable of it, Chelsea are capable of it, and Liverpool are capable capable of it, but not without Salah, they're not. And if if the points distance becomes to a drift, it's a mentality thing as well. Liverpool are looking up and they're like, what, nine, ten points off the top? And it's kind of like a this is going to be so I know the mentality monster, as they say, but it's such a hard ask. And especially with the rate of City and Chelsea going to keep winning, they're not going to drop off. And if you were to separate Chelsea and City, honestly, the only thing I can think of is what happens with injuries because it, it can happen. You, City might not get another injury this year. Lukaku might not come back for a, for a bit longer. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that can happen. And then, especially, and then the games between each other, they will be really um, important to the title race. I honestly can't split Chelsea City and Liverpool, other than the other than the Afcon factor for Liverpool. Yeah, there's there's a slight Afcon factor for Chelsea. However, I stand by my point. Like Mendy and Ziyech would go. However, like I said, Chelsea's main strength and main weapon is the squad. Kepper will just go in and they'll put an Adoy in. Or they'll put yeah. Mountain or Havertz. Same with City. Barclay, City is a very good player. That's what I mean. The squads, but, yeah. our squads are so much better. Yeah. Liverpool may have the best eleven, however, our squads. And let's let's again let's be real. Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City all have serious European ambitions to win the Champions League. So yeah. they can't. It's not as easy as just going. Okay, we'll just prioritize the Prem when no, definitely not. there's massive games to come and. A big one for Chelsea tonight against Juve and a huge one for Man City tomorrow night, Jim, I believe, against Paris. Yeah, it is. We should have beaten him the first time round. <laughs> so I hope they're up for this one because we battered him in Paris and just got beat on the break and bad two great goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's going to be hard for one of them teams to not win anything because there's going to be one of them with left about trophies, most definitely. Um, and keep your eye on it we'll keep talking about it on the podcast especially when games come so we'll, we'll see what happens in, in a few months okay listeners it is that time of the week the time where we ask you the listener to get involved at home and play a little game with us no not squid game Jim I know you've seen that I know you've seen that shite what a but show I'm yet to watch it but I am told subs over dubs. Uh, sorry, dubs over subs. No, subs over dubs. Yeah, subtitles yeah. over the audio dub. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Is the way to go. But it is time for Who Am I? There's only Jim here this week. I, I only have lose. one Who Am I? Because there's only one guy here. But yeah. we'll start off with 
obviously ranging from the most difficult clue to the easiest. So starting with, I was born on the 23rd of June, 1976, making me 45 years old. Look like you do the math, math me again. I say every always, time, but always. I will always. Um, I'm just playing for Pride on my own. 45 years of age. Kind of sounds like Robbie Keane to me. A PL great, but it's not Keane, Oh, I forgot for a split second there. I thought I'd nailed it on the first attempt. I wish you had. <laughs> okay, this might help you out a little bit more. I have 107 caps for France, scoring six goals. So he's a yeah, centurion. Probably. He's a centurion. But not a goal scorer, importantly. Mm. Only six goals. That sounds like, to me, set. oh, wait. Everett. It's not Everett. Uh, I'm not sure he played that many times for France. I was going to say centre-back, and then for some reason Everett came as mad. So well, there, was a, there was a certain Gail Cliche that was in front of him, Jim. Well, <laughs> what a man. Big Gail. Clue number three. I've played in England, France, and Italy. England, France. You know what? That sounds like everything. Why you, you say it there? Are you sure? <laughs> One sec. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not ever. It's not ever. <laughs> England, France, and Italy. And as a little wink, as a little oh. like side clue, which I would have given if Stan was here anyway, he has played for Juve, AC, and Inter. Well, that's it. Juve, AC, and Inter. Um, 107 caps for France, six goals, 45 currently. Played in England, France, and Italy. Let's have a little think there. You have a think. It's a tough one. It's not a great listen for the listeners, me just thinking, but I don't it's really right. have a guess. I'm good at editing you. Look, well, I'm on the post edit nowadays. Um, I, I I'm making think we know stuff. I'm a stab, Jim. I'm a stab. It's got to be a defender. It's got to be. I could be midfielder. Mm. I don't know who's played for all of them three. My knowledge is little. My knowledge is little. Who is it? Inter, AC, and Juve, and Juve. Um, okay, I'm gonna have to pass. Okay. I'm going to pass. Clue number four. Worth two points. I've won three Premier Leagues, four Serie A's, and one Champions League. This is pissing me off. He's he's a good player, obviously. (laughs) It's pissing me off. (laughs) He's obviously a good player. Three Prems. Three Prems, four Serie A's, and one Champions League. And the Serie A's, to help you out, were all for the same team. How many Serie A's? Four. Four. Greedy bastard. And there's an extra little clue for the... uh, He's got to play for United. Got to. He's got to play for United. Ooh. No. I can't say nothing. All right, well, I'm just going to go in my head that he's played for United. He's got Spurgeon. And he's French. Okay. And Fort knows who he is. 
I don't even know okay. his friend. Why do I keep thinking of Mikel Sylvester? That's not him, surely. <laughs> um, let's go. Oh, cut. We're struggling. No, I might have to say Mikel Sylvester. That's my guess. I think so. It's not Mikel Sylvester. You know what? I'm going to give you an extra clue. What? Okay. <clears throat> I retired in Manchester. However, I started my career coaching in America. So I finished my career in Manchester and I started my coaching career. So my manager, my first job was in America. No way. Specifically New York. Yeah, I know it is now, but no way. Well, looking for your age, Patrick. Ah. <laughs> also, what? I can't. I know he played in Serie A, but I didn't realize he played for all them teams. Yeah, so he made two appearances for AC Milan. It's oh, first right, okay. of the Italian teams uh, between 1995 and 96. Yeah, that's out of my head. And then straight to Arsenal. Uh, so I'll go for it in order, sorry. Started at Cannes in France uh, for one year, and then he was picked up by AC Milan. Then Arsenal, then Juventus, then Inter Milan, and then Manchester City. Wow. Well, do you know what? I just tunnel visioned him and I'm thinking, if he's won three and he's 45... It's got to have been like three and four years or something. No, United ever did that. Yeah. My, you know, my last like, clue, my last clue was uh, I've won the World Cup and Euros back to back. Some career. Some career. Yeah. He's just a winner. Yeah, Vieira's you know, a boy, isn't he? When you think about it now, when you list off yeah. his honours anyway. He's, he's a real stat padder in those beast teams. <laughs> I don't think you can start past the World Cup. <laughs> no, you can. You can. You can. <laughs> you can. Uh, yeah. Fair play, Patrick. And a great win at City the other week. I'm not saying it before I say it again. So, listeners, it is that time, the shittiest time of the podcast, the time where we do have to love you and leave you. But it's also the time where I can tell you where to find us when we're not around. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at cookie podcast one. That's at cookie podcast followed by the numerical one. You can find us on YouTube in clip form, just search in TTW TCC podcast in the search bar and subscribe to us. Give us a five star review wherever you get your pods. And yeah, it's been episode 121 of the podcast and that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, yeah.